Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. already seen the end of the northern kingdom under Hosea. The Assyrians came, took him away. That was the end of them. They were scattered, never to be found again. But with the captivity of the tribe of Judah, when they would go away to Babylon, they would come back after 70 years. They were sustained by the Lord because, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of the Messiah comes through the line of the, the tribe of Judah, and they would come back. They would rebuild the temple They would rebuild the walls under Nehemiah, and Ezra and Nehemiah just be amazing things. So what we really get tonight is the last window of great things that happened for the nation of Judah and really a remnant still of Israel, because certainly some people from other tribes would have ended up there during the previous times, during the Assyrian siege and all that kind of stuff. So as we come to chapter 23, we're picking it up with Josiah, that great king, He lived 39 years, and out of the 39 kings combined, he's probably the greatest one of them all, after David and Solomon from the divided kingdoms. And in chapter 22, we were told that he became king when he was 8 years old, and then we're told when he was 26, he sent the priests and the leaders to go clean up the temple and refurbish it and, and put it back into practice, and as they did that, they found the book of the law, they found the entire book of Moses, the Book of Deuteronomy, Numbers, Exodus, Leviticus, and Genesis. And he read it, and he realized that they had violated this quite a bit as a national people group. And so he was, you know, he tore his clothes. He didn't know what to do. And then he sent to the prophetess, Hilda, uh, to see what she had to say. And she spoke a word of the Lord to him. This was all in chapter 22 a couple weeks ago on Tuesday night. And she said, her word of the Lord was very interesting. She said, because you humbled yourself, you had a tender heart. You won't see the destruction of Jerusalem in your time, but it will happen. But you will go to your grave in peace. And so with that word, that's what we pick up tonight. That's the pickup where we come into now in chapter 23. So she, they had just gotten that, brought that word back to him of what she said, the prophetess, after those events. And we read, now the king sent to gather all the elders. So upon that news, now the king sent to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people took a stand for the covenant. Now we'll read verse 4, which kind of sets in motion all the way through chapter, excuse me, verse 26, but we won't read all of it, we'll just read verse 4. And so after they took the stand for the covenant, and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the field of Kidron, and carried their ashes to Bethel. 
And that is the beginning of his actions where he went after everything offensive to the Lord. The rest of this passage through verse 26, he goes in the surrounding region of Jerusalem. Then he goes to the south. Then he goes to the north. You know, the northern kingdom had been removed. They had been, it had been repopulated by a mixed group of people. We already saw that. And he went up there, and anything that existed that had been offensive to the Lord, he removed it. In fact, he fulfilled the prophecy that was spoken hundreds of years before, after Solomon died, when Jeroboam, his servant, went to the north and started the northern tribes, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in the south. There was a whole thing where Jeroboam set up the priests and the false altar and all these things, that there's a prophet that came up and he spoke against that altar and what happened there. And he said that in the future time, a man named Josiah would rise up and he would offer the bones of the priest who committed this idolatry at that very place. Well, in the rest of chapter 23, Josiah did that. So he was spoken of hundreds of years before he lived by the Lord. He did these things and he was all in. So after he did all this, then he instituted Passover. Now, Hezekiah had had a great Passover that, again, when we get to Chronicles and Second Chronicles, we get a lot more details about both these two great kings with different perspectives, so I'll save some of that. But they both reinstituted the Passover as the national identity, almost like communion elements tonight for us as a church. And they reinstituted it. And when he did it, he sent messengers out and encouraged people to come, and they had this great Passover, and they did it. All this happened when, essentially when he was 26. So he was eight years old when he became king. At 16, Chronicles tells us he made a decision to follow the Lord. At 20, he made a decision to tear down some of the idolatrous places. At 26, in refurbishing the temple, he found the book of the law. He read it. He, he mourned before the Lord. The prophetess Hulda spoke about what would take place. And then immediately he gathered all the people together, read the law, made a covenant, tore down everything offensive to the Lord that was in the land of the original boundaries of Israel, as far as you could see, had a Passover for everybody. And then we just get a summary after that, that at 39, he died in battle when Pharaoh Necho came up from the south and invaded Israel while at war with Babylon, Assyria. Israel's in the middle, so people are always coming and going when they're at war. And he went out to spy on that battle or spy the elements with Necho, and he died. He was shot with an arrow, and he died. And he certainly died in faith, and this was when he was 39 years of age. So this is the life of Josiah, this great king. And these three verses primarily, but then the fourth verse set in motion more the actions of what he did. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. He was an awesome king. And as I mentioned earlier, from my personal perspective, if you really look at the resumes before the Lord of these 39 kings during this 250 plus year period, his is the most impressive. If I had a podium, I'd go gold, Josiah, I'd go silver Hezekiah and probably bronze uh, Jehoshaphat. You know, it's probably what I'd go with, depending on how you rank them. But if you look at their hearts with the Lord, these are probably the three best kings of the 19 kings in the southern area of Judah. So it's pretty cool that the Lord gave them a great king when they're nationally facing an impending doom. And so this is our background to this guy. And what a wonderful summary and this record of this amazing, of these events that happened and transpired over a few days and then a few weeks and possibly a couple months, they're here for us in the word of God to inspire us. So tonight, I would say this about Josiah. If we even say 
when he died in battle facing Pharaoh Necho and say, hey, that's the one blemish on his life. Even so, it's not a moral blemish like David and Bathsheba or Hezekiah showing all the wealth of the Babylonians and being lifted up with pride. There's no real moral blemish to identify with Josiah. And as I mentioned, I think he's probably the greatest of all these kings during this time. And so I would say this about Josiah. He made all the right moves. In elementary years, eight years old, that's like second, third grade, 16 to the Lord, 20, you know, his AA at junior college right about that time, 26, you know, after college age, a man in the real world, he's the king, all these things. And really it's a record of someone that made all the right moves. He did, we already read that in chapter 22 that he didn't turn aside to the right or to the left, but he did all the things of his father, David. There just simply is no blemish. As impressive as Hezekiah was, this is just a, they're both Hall of Fame, but just a little, maybe just a little more impressive. He made all the right moves. And so as we think tonight about in our walks with the Lord and what we want to do with the Lord from here to eternity, whether we're younger or older tonight, whether we've made a lot of good moves or some good moves or very few good moves, we certainly, I think we can agree tonight, we want to make all the right moves going forward. We want to make good moves. We want to make the right decisions. We want to, we just want to, I think I speak for most of us, we truly want to be used by the Lord for the rest of our lives. We want to be fruitful and we want to bring honor to the Lord. And when it's our last moment, we want to seal the fruit. I mean, last week, the message was pretty serious about that last day, right? Near to death was our text. And that brought us right to the edge of eternity. But here kind of brings us back to what are we, what's our life about until eternity? And so the first thing I point out about Josiah making the right moves that stand out to me and all this is Josiah's influence. That, that just gets my attention here in verse 1. It says that when he heard this news, okay, so he got the news that Jerusalem's going to get destroyed and Judah's going to go into captivity. But he got good news for him. You know, your heart's tender. You humbled yourself. The Lord's going to, you're not going to see it in your day. And the Lord says something like that to Hezekiah and Hezekiah's like, well, that's good for me. You know, like, but Josiah, we don't get that from him. It's just like, hey, you're not going to see it in your lifetime. As long as you're alive, these things will not happen. So that's kind of nice for him. But like, but when he heard this and he had the book of the law, he had, he had to do something. And as we've seen with him, and we saw this two weeks ago on Tuesday night, that his is a compound cumulative effect of making good decisions. And we talked about this two weeks ago, that when you make, when you make the right decision at eight, it's more likely you make the the right decision at 16. Now, he became king at 8, so that's not really a decision, but he had good counselors around him. And at 16, certainly at the age to drive a car and go to the DMV, he decided that his world was going to be a lot different than the one of his fathers, Ammon and then um, Manasseh. That was not, their world was not his world. At 16, he decided that he was not going to live his life like that, that God was going to govern his life, and he made a commitment to the Lord. When the tide of the culture would have been just do what they did. But he, he purposed that at 16, he was going to commit himself to the Lord. And by the time he was 20, he was tearing down things that were offensive to the Lord. And we've been talking about this. We want to be identified. I want to be identified by what I'm for more than what I identified by what I'm against. But it's inevitable by when you're for something, you're against something. So if you're for the light, you're against darkness. If you're for life, you're against death. If you're for Christ, you're for the narrow way and you're opposed to the broad way that leads to destruction, right? If you're for the spirit, you're against the flesh, right? So we understand that. And 
by at 20 when he took that stand, he was identified by what he was what he was opposed to and he would not tolerate in his mind, in his heart, in his person, and in his kingdom. Now, he obviously didn't get all of it, but he did get after some of it. And by the time he's 26, he says, hey, Manasseh left the, man, he left the temple in a shambles. And there's all these idols and everything in here. So he took a step this way. He took a step in the direction to fix up the temple. And in so doing, he found the book of the law. See, when you move toward the next thing with the Lord, you might not see it's around the corner, but you go forward, then you get there, and then the Lord shows you it's around the corner. So you take the step of faith to clear out the temple, and then you find the book of the law. This is a whole new thing. That was not your intention, but now you have it. What are you going to do with it? You're going to send for the prophet Hulda and see what she says. So now you've moved on to the next thing. She's going to give a word of the Lord, and now you're really moving on to the next thing. And at this point, this man, this king at 26, He fully believes with all of his heart the word of God. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, the law of Moses, he believes all of it. Leviticus, like when we taught it outdoors during COVID, right? He is all over Leviticus. Like, yes, 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 yes. Numbers, talking donkeys. Yes, yes, and yes. Creation, Genesis 1. Yes, yes, and yes. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, the word of the Lord for him in his timeline he was all for it, so much so that he gathered all the people together. And this is where we see him and his influence. Now, he had a position of influence as a king. I mean, what's a bigger position of influence than the king? The president of the United States probably, most, most of the world considers the president of the United States, whoever he is, in any given time, the most influential person in the world. The president wields a lot of power, the most powerful military and the dollar is the global currency for the last, you know, since post-World War II. It's powerful. Like this, it's a powerful thing. So powerful that you go back to Ronald Reagan, he refused to be in the West Wing without a suit and tie on. We know that, right? Like he's very well known for that, that he so revered the position of his influence of whenever he's in the West Wing, he insists on suit and tie, uh, reverence for the position of influence. If you're a husband, you have a position of influence. If you're a mother, you have a position of influence. If you're grandparents, you have a very profound position of influence. If you have anyone that works underneath you, you have a position of influence. When I worked in room service in Vermont at the Sheraton Hotel, I was usually the deliverer. I delivered the food, someone else prepped it. And whether it was Dan Kenyon or whoever else that was over me, Billy Hackett, Billy Bratcher, they had influence over me because they were over me. They would tell me, you're going here and doing this or that. We're all under the restaurant manager. Anyone that works underneath you, you have an influence over them. In our neighborhoods, we have an influence to some degree. We can influence people just by how we carry ourselves and how we treat them when we go to the bank, when we go to the grocery store, when we drive on the surface streets, how we carry ourselves on the freeway. A real test of your influence is walking on the bike path in Huntington Beach, especially with the new wide lane. There's a lot of confusion. It's interesting. The walking lane is closest to the green grass and all the squirrels. Now, normally, in our culture, we drive the car on the right side, so we walk on the right. You you pass on the right, people pass on the left. But all the dogs want to go to the left and go after the squirrels. So you have this unnatural, almost, you know, British style where, where you're almost like, which way are we going? And some people could care less if you're walking toward them. There are four people, and it's lead follower, get out of their way. They're just going to do that. 
And occasionally, some guy on the bike path, the wide, broader bike path, he thinks he can just come in the walking lane because he can because he doesn't care about anyone else and no one cares about him. And it's his world. He's the center of his universe, and that's what he's going to do. So you got to look out for him. It's kind of like the Wild West. In fact, when I went to Brazil in the 80s, I never saw the craziest driving as I saw in Rio in 1980, 81, 82. It's just a free-for-all. It was terrifying. And I thought more than once the new bike path with electric bikes, electric scooters, the big wheel thing where you stand there and... It's a free-for-all. And there's lanes, but no one minds the lanes. And so I thought, well, you know, I pray every day to be friendly and have a smile. This is where I get to do it. And you gotta, you'd be surprised if you ever walk on the bike path how many people mad dog you. When you're just walking and you're in your 50s or 60s. I figured out one of the best places of influence I can have is walking on that bike path with my wife and not getting upset about people breathing down our neck or coming in our lane or almost running us over on a bike in the walking path. There's an influence. Because what do we know more than anything else? When you let someone go before you, they're doing like, oh, hey, thanks. When you smile, what do you usually get back in return? A smile. I was going to visit my dad about a week ago. And I was pulling into Sunrise, a very unusual situation. There was a man blocking a parking space. And it was completely packed because Huntington High students pack around there, park around there too, so you can't really park in the, the street level. So I'm like, hey, excuse me. Are you, are, are you going to, are you using that spot? Well, he had, he had dementia, okay? I didn't know that because normally anyone with dementia is not going to be all alone standing in the parking lot blocking a parking space. I mean, that is unusual, right? Just so you know, like, if you take care of someone with dementia, you don't, you don't leave them alone in a parking lot. So, but I, I couldn't quite figure it out because like, oh, what's that? He's like, excuse me? I was like, oh, are you, you know, like, because I didn't, he leaves kind of like this, you know, and I don't know what he's doing. I was like, hey, can I grab that spot, you know? And this lady comes flying up on me, like just flying up, and she's screaming at me. I, mean, I was like, whoa. I told Jennifer she would have been proud of me because I'm like, hey, now, everything's fine. And she said, that's my spot. She was rabid, like foaming at the mouth. That's my spot. He's got dementia. And I was like, sure, yeah. You know, like, everything's fine. And she's screaming, I'm not fine. I, I, was, like, and I was like, hey, it's all good. I'll just, I'll find something over here. And I, and I drove off. And I, I didn't even, I, I was actually like, wow, like you're making progress in life at 61. And because and, you said, like, what, you want some of this? You know, no, anyways, so I, I drove and I parked. And then I get in line with her to sign in. And so it's kind of embarrassing for her because I didn't embarrass myself. But she didn't want to look at me. And I was like, smile. Of course, we had to wear the mask because it's an elderly place. Uh, but I was friendly and everything. And, and then she was getting a tour. And she was late for the tour. And listen. Those of you who take care of your elderly parents, you know, nothing is, in my life, nothing's been more stressful than taking care of, of elderly parents. Can I get a witness on that? Listen, it is extremely stressful. And I didn't take offense by how this lady acted. And I just thought, you know, I've had hives on my neck over stress with banking stuff, uh, <laughs> my dad's retirement benefits. And I mean, I've literally had the, the rash from it. So, like, I just realized, like, wow, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that I handled that right. And then I had to walk by her when I was taking my dad out. We're going to go for a ride. I was like, oh, you can't see the smile, but you kind of can remember the mass days. You know, I get the smile. But I was like, you know, like, that's, that's our influence. See, we're not the king and we're not the president. But we have a chance to influence humanity every day for the good things of the Lord. See, 
all the right moves is pretty much just a general disposition and attitude on every day that we're like little Miss Sunshine, and we're little Mr. Sunshine, and we're bringing Jesus Christ is good news, and he is the light and the life of men, and whatever he touches, he brings to life. He doesn't bring death. He doesn't bring cursing. He brings blessing, and even when they're cursing him on the cross, he's still pronouncing blessings on them. That's who we are as the church for 2,000 years, that we are influencers to bring good. And, of course, influencers is a big term right now with social media, right? Like, you know, influencers. My daughter-in-law, Belle's an influencer. Leah's long time. My daughter been been an influencer where they get paid to brand stuff, showcase stuff, and their social media. And influencers is a really big term. Now, we, we used to be sponsored in the 80s, right? I'm sponsored by Body Glove or O'Neill, But now, you know... Now you're a brand ambassador, right? It's, just, it's the same thing, but different ideas. But influencers is big money. I told you I read a book last year about one million followers and how it all works and how people try and find this and the right influencers. And when Leah and her business with uh, swimmer and all that, they, they don't go for the supermodels anymore. They go for the influencers who will come to the show, show the product, and, and post it on their things. Influencers. This is what the world's doing. In this next generation, all these YouTube stars, they get paid to influence either through what they say, what they do, or how they entertain. So you older people, along with me as baby boomers, and Gen X, and millennials, and Z for that matter, listen, the greatest influence we'll ever give of our life is for Jesus Christ. And so you look at the influence is the people around us. So who did Josiah influence? He influenced, it says he, he gathered, the word all is used quite a bit in these three verses. If you circle it, you'll see so. But he sent together all the elders of Judah. All the men of Judah. All the inhabitants of Jerusalem. All the people, both small and great. Josiah is trying to influence as many people as he possibly can to live a life of faith in the living God. His position that he has is king, and he's using his position as king to influence the leaders, religious and political, to influence the men and the household, to influence the men in the capital of Jerusalem, the families, and then small and great, anyone and everyone, bring the children's ministry, bring the middle school group, bring the high school group. He's trying to influence everybody for the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? Because the word of God, of course, is truth. Now, we've done a lot about God's word, so I didn't make it one of our points tonight because we all know it is, the whole counsel of God, all that. But he, he's heard this word, he believes this word, and he's going to share this word from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Deuteronomy. For anyone and everyone to hear, he's having it read out loud. Now, Later on in the book of Ezra, we read about them doing the same thing in a cold winter rain where they all stood while the word was read. But here, he just had it read. And that's really, you know, we, we hear so often that the only Jesus some people will see is you and me, right? Like we bring Jesus into any equation. A lot of people, when they go in the mission field or go to foreign countries where there's not a strong Christian witness, when you represent Christ and how you interact with people, that's their first chance of being influenced by someone who confesses Christ and they're reflecting Christ to them. They're showing them the gospel. They're showing them the truth of the word of God. And in his case, because we're always saved by faith, Old Testament's faith, New Testament's faith, 
He's, he's encouraging, he's, he's influencing for faith. He's influencing for the truth of the word and for the people to put their trust in it and to obey it. That's what he's doing. And all the counsel of God. Like when Paul the Apostle said to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts, I've not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So all the counsel of God. So his influence, he's using his position of influence for the word of God, basically to reach as many people as he possibly can. And in this description of people in verse 1, it's probably four generations. It's the elderly. It's those who are thinking about what retirement's going to look like. It's those people who are like in the prime of their career, and it's the people on the front end of their career. There's generally four generations in motion. As you say, we got baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Z, all sharing the planet right now. And he called small and great together, declared the word, and basically gave it to them. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.